for you. He forgave us of all of our sins. Don't you just love Jesus today? I love Jesus. All right, this is what we're going to do. I'm I'm in a series called Love God, Love People. It's in sections. Uh, The section that we're in uh, has three messages, okay? Uh, Find it, face it, and uh, forgive it, which is what will be my, my next message. But before we go anywhere, let me read something to you this morning before we put anything up on the screen. Let me read this to you and then we'll pray. He vies for your attention all day long. He's the first one to speak to you in the morning trying to influence your day. He waits for each moment of pause throughout the day to interject thoughts of fear that you have to fight away just to focus. His goal is to slowly drain your mental energy getting you to lower your defenses just long enough to launch an attack against your emotions or your faith. Linguistically, he's a master at the art of intimidation, pointing out every one of your flaws and reminding you of all your weaknesses and painting the worst picture possible. He capitalizes on your blind spots and he exposes them to anyone who might want to take advantage of you. Ultimately, He's the one chosen to take you out. He is the momentum stealer, the courage crusher. He's the persecutor of your promise and the champion chosen to break your spirit. He wants you to focus on him. He wants you to be the largest and only thing that you see. He wants you to question everything that you've ever believed. He is your Goliath. And today I'm going to preach on uh, face it, going through your Goliath. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know that there are people here today uh, that are facing some challenges. They're trying to overcome some obstacle in life. I get it. Uh, But Father, today we're a people of faith. And uh, by the grace of God, we've learned to lean into you and to trust you. We've learned that you already have things worked out. You've already got things under control. We've learned that, that the more we lean, lean into you, the more we hear your heartbeat. And it's the heartbeat of God that guides us. The Bible says that, that your heart will be with us perpetually day by day. So today, Jesus, we're just, we're recognizing you in our battles and how you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we trust you and we love you. Lord, we speak to every Goliath in our life right now. And we just declare that the goodness and the greatness of our God will not be shamed, stopped. It can't be thwarted. God's a good God and he's bigger and stronger than anything that we might face. Jesus, we love you today. Strengthen us today and rejuvenate our faith in you and what you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so we're gonna talk about David and Goliath this morning. And um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, I love this passage of scripture. I can't do all the verses, 
Um, but when I was, when the kids were growing up, this hasn't happened in a while, but um, I, we, we love to read our kids stories at night. Uh, a few years ago, I told a little anecdote about our family. I'll, I'll kind of, a little more of that here today, but uh, do any of you remember the doll that came out like 15 years ago, that when you take the doll and you hold it, you give it to your little girl, she, when, when it goes horizontal, the eyes close like it's going to sleep, right? You've seen, remember those, right? Baby sleeps a lot, I don't know what it's called. Um, anyways, that's, that's me. So we used to read stories to our kids at night, but I couldn't do it because when I go horizontal, I go to sleep. And so my kids would punch me and hit me, and dad, you're going to sleep, dad, you know, and they had all the stories memorized. So I did a thing called bedtime Bible stories. And what I would do, because this is how I have to flow, is I'd turn off all the lights and the kids would grab a pillow and then I would act out the stories in the dark. And so I would do all the voices and uh, I would, you know, we did David and Goliath and it was Kai's favorite, you know, when he was little. I'd stomp around and make noises and, and growl and, you know, the kids were into it. And one time I got so into it, I ran into Kai's light fell over and it crashed and Kai's like, dad, relax. Anyway, so, uh, but we do bedtime Bible stories and it was one of their favorite things to do was just to turn off the lights and to just listen to the story. Um, I think that, that for all of us here today, that there is a, a place where a story for us really takes shape. I want to talk about it. There's a place in the dark, there's a place where all of your senses are kind of uh, stopped, where we just stop thinking, stop looking, and it's an alone place where certain things really begin to make sense to us. And I think that David in this story had experienced some of this. Now, the, the story of David and Goliath has so much in it that it would be impossible in four, five, or six weeks to go there. I wanted to speak this morning on face it because of the picture that we have of David facing a Goliath. We face it. And I'll read a few verses here, but the point would be, and this is just the way life is, you can never defeat an enemy that you won't face. You will never be able to face an enemy that you fear. And so God wants us to face our enemies without fear, knowing that he has your back. David found out if God hadn't had his back, how many of you know he probably wasn't that great of a shot, to be honest with you, with a slingshot. But somehow... That rock found its way to the exact place in the exact moment in the armor, the only weakness that Goliath had through a little hole in his helmet. That rock killed Goliath. How many of you know that God has your back? And when you face things, he's got it under control. I'm gonna read a few verses here and uh, uh, I can't do the whole story, but enough to give us some context. I'm gonna read from the, from the message version this, this morning just because of how you know, it's, it's very animated in its approach to David and Goliath. And David said in verse 34, I've been a shepherd. I, you know, and it's so funny for me because I wish I could just preach it. He was a shepherd. He was a priest. He was a warrior. He was a worshiper. That is the combination of success in life with God. Every one of us are worshipers, we're all warriors, we're all priests, and we're all shepherds. This is the life of David. He's a, he's a symbol, he's a type of Christ in the New Testament. But he says, I was a shepherd, and I was tending sheep for my father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I would go after it. I would knock it down, and I would rescue the lamb. And if it turned on me, 
I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. Come on, amen. That's, that's the spirit that David had, okay? So he would grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. Lion or bear, didn't matter. Made no difference. I killed it. And I will do the same to this Philistine pig. Who is taunting the troops of God alive? God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And so Saul said, all right, go and God be with you. Amen. Have you ever felt that you were facing something so difficult that people around you really didn't know how to handle it with you? I know that I've been through stuff like that. And all, a lot of times all you get is, all right, well, go and God be with you, right? Well, you know what? Those kind of challenges, those are Goliath challenges. They're the kind of challenges that, that hit you when you get up in the morning. Uh, to understand the story of David and Goliath, you really have to understand just how they fought culturally in the day. I won't go too far with this, but each morning uh, there was a standoff and no one was winning. And so what you did was you chose a champion. And every day the soldiers would get up and they would line up in the field for battle. Not just one soldier against another, but all the soldiers. And every day, they would line up, arrayed for battle, and then they would choose a champion. And every day, day after day, in the morning time, Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, would step forward, and Israel had no champion. And because there was no champion, all of the soldiers then would go back to their tents until the next day. And this happened day after day after day. The, the intimidation, the attack. You know, when you're really in a moment of intimidation and attack in your life, it hits you from the moment you get up in the morning. There are things in your life that want to steal your thought and your faith and your emotional energy from the moment that your eyes open in the morning. Because if they can capture your heart and your spirit and put fear inside of you throughout the day, that little tiny thing that started as a thought in the morning has become a Goliath by the end of the day. And when we don't win, we go back, we go to bed, we get up in the morning, and we have to face it again. This is the picture that we get from David and, and Goliath. Every day, an intimidating soldier and nothing to answer it, and so they go back to their tents. People live going back to their tent over and over and over again. But I want to tell you this morning, and I believe this, we are not tent people. Right? We're not go back to the tent people. We are face it people. God, through his grace, has already faced it for you. Now, if there's any revelation that we need to have, it's the revelation of, of grace because God has already faced it. Can you imagine he faced the cross? He faced the mockers. He faced um, all of the cultural challenges. Jesus did it and he didn't sin. He carried it for us. He faced what he had to face. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Do you know what the joy was? It was you. We are the joy that Jesus had. We were the vision. We were the desire of his heart to save us, to pay the price for our sins. And so Jesus faced it for a reason. And David becomes a symbol, a type of Christ for us. And we get up in the morning and we think, okay, well, if we're going to be a picture of Christ, then we have people that, 
that God wants to get the message to. And we have something that Jesus wants us to do. And, and every day Goliath comes to you and says, you're not worthy and you can't do it and, and you got issues. And, and then we all go, yes, we do. Come on, who has an issue? Say amen. Okay. And uh, we, we, are, we are forced to face things in our life that we don't want to face. The problem is, is that facing what we have to face through Jesus, we face it, it's what actually gives us a message. We are a dichotomy in the world because the first shall be last with us. Our weakness becomes our story and God anoints us and meets us at the point of our brokenness, not where we're whole. People always ask for God to anoint their gift. I understand that. But the Bible says that your gift was given to you without repentance. If you can sing, you can sing. Whether you repent or not, whether God, you live for God or not, you can still sing. The gift of God was given to you. It's not about do you have a gift. It's does your brokenness and your desire to know Jesus really anoint the gift and take the gift to where it was used for in the first place. God anoints our brokenness. He meets us at the point of our weakness. He already knows we can sing. He already knows we have giftings and talents. And so David, David now is a young boy. Without going into all of his life, David was just a young man. And some believe that, uh, you know, Hebrew tradition suggests that David was actually only a half-brother of his other brothers. It's one of the reasons why when the prophet came and said, bring all your brothers, uh, you know, here, Jesse, I need to see your brothers. And Jesse's like, wow, okay, can, can you imagine you're, you're having a normal day? And, and the governor or somebody just shows up at your door and you didn't know they were coming. You don't even know them. And they just say, hey, go get your family. I want to have dinner with you. This was, a, this was a really big deal. So what does Jesse do? They bring all the brothers and they leave Jesse in the field. Or they leave David in the field. David went through things that made him who he was. You know, I think about David, what he was going through. He's out in the field. He's playing his stringed instrument. We'll call it a ukulele, just to be exegetically correct. Um, we'll call it a, a guitar. He is a young man, half-brother half of everyone else potentially, which is why he was so lonely and didn't feel like he had real family. And he's out there, and he's, he's playing. He's writing poetry, and he's singing songs, and he's been given a job to do. His job is to protect the sheep. It's his father's sheep. He understands that. So if the bear comes, he kills it. If the lion comes, he kills it. That's his job. And then later on in life, like if you read Psalms 139, David in Psalms 139 was, a, was an aged uh, man, maybe he's close to 90 years old as a king. He was an 85, 90-year-old king, and he was looking back over all the course of his life. So it, it's my favorite psalm because he says, he says, he knew me in the womb and, and he brought me forward and he checks my heart to see if there's anything in me that's not good. And, and it's just an amazing psalm to me. But he looks all the way back to when he was a young man and he has these concepts on 139 that a child can't have. A young man just can't, can't see it. And, and when you think about all that he went through to become who he was, it started in the field. And it started alone. You know, as a youth pastor, 
and we have some of them here today. I love young people who play instruments. And by the way, we have a lot of really gifted young people. Matter of, matter of fact, I'll be honest. I mean, we've got teenagers on the platform worshiping. I love that. You know, they're just going for God and they're so good. And they love their instruments. One of the funny things that happened to us as youth pastors is we always had the kid in the youth group who wanted to bring his guitar everywhere. I mean, everywhere. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to McDonald's. Can I bring my guitar? Sure. We're going on a mission trip. Can I bring my guitar? Sure. And it never fits anywhere on a plane. And, you know, it doesn't go with the overhead and, and it doesn't go in the little coat thing. So the kids, you know, you've always got some kid in the back trying to get out his guitar and sing and sing. He wants to sing. I actually don't know if it's about the guitar. He really wants to sing, right? So you got this kid and he's just on fire and he's just crazy. We used to have this one kid is, who, who would go into his school and uh, he would take his guitar and he would just stand on the stairs during lunch when everybody's there, and he would just start singing with his guitar. And in the beginning, people used to, like, scream at him and call him names. You know, when he was done, he'd go into, the, into his high school, he'd stand on the top of the stairs, and there would be two, three, or four hundred kids all sitting around listening to him sing. And they learned his, they learned his songs. No, they weren't Christians. They just thought, this kid is radical. I mean, anyone who can stand here and sing in front of us, and we're throwing apples at him. Come on, let's give him some respect, right? He would pack the hallways. At one point, they would let him sing because he, he packed the whole hallway at the school. The kids couldn't go to class, and it was a fire hazard, and he would just get out there and take his guitar, and he was actually the, he, he was such a, he's such a funny kid. He'd just walk out there. he just, you know, it was Oregon, so he just kind of, just kind of looked homeless, we all do. And, and uh, <laughs> he just kind of got there, and he, was, he had this one song called Silver and Gold Have I None. And if you knew it, you knew it, you still know it. He'd sing, he'd, silver and gold, have none. He kind of had that kind of thing. This is just, I have, I give to you. And then all these kids who don't know Jesus are like, silver and gold. <laughs> yeah, block the hall, I don't want to go to class. And, um, and I, I think of David like this. He's a young man, he's got his instrument. He's out there in the field, and it all began there. And then you read through his life. You ever read the Psalms? Psalms are crazy. David was an emotional, upset, passionate young leader. His psalms, you know, later in life, some of them are like, Lord, you are the Lord of the firmament. I had to, firmament, you are the Lord of the firmament. And Father, this, you put the, the stars up there and the moon over here and the earth you know, is your breath and you're so awesome and then somebody like offends him or hurts him or chases him or tries to kill him and the next psalm is like, God, remove their head. <laughs> Burn them to ashes and feed their ashes to the birds of the field, then kill the birds. <laughs> kill their sheep, kill their cows, kill their pets, kill everybody. That's like the next psalm. And then the next, the next phrase is, but Lord, the sun shines because you love us. And at night, I hear the chirping of, and it's like, he is completely crazy. He's emotional, but he's real. He's real. And he was a shepherd, and he was a warrior, and he was a worshiper, and he was a priest. And that little boy out in the field, you know, it all began alone in the field. All of us have our moments alone. And it actually doesn't matter if you're sitting next to somebody, you're still alone. There's certain moments and challenges that you face, regardless of who's around you, you feel alone. 
Because your Goliath is intimidating you. Your Goliath is speaking to your thoughts. Your Goliath is speaking to your heart. Your Goliath is telling you that you're not going to make it. Your Goliath is making fun of you. Your Goliath is standing on the line that morning looking at you saying, you're too small, you're too young. Scripture says, what are you going to send? Like, you're going to send a dog to do a man's job? And he's making fun of you and he's embarrassing you and and and, and it's public and he's going to say things that will stay with you forever. That David said this. David said, look, let me tell you who I am. This is where the young, passionate You know what I mean? Let's clog the hallway up. Let's get out the guitar. Let's make some noise. Let's let's have people try to figure out what we're all about and who we are. And he goes, let me tell you who I am. I am a shepherd. And when the lion came, I took it by the beard, I broke its neck, and I killed it. You know, it's like a middle school battle of words. And that's what I'm going to do to you. When the bear came, I chased it, and it had the audacity to turn around and look at me. I'm 145 pounds of bad, you know what I'm saying, okay? So I killed it. That's what I'm going to do to you. But David cultivated that in the field, and I'm telling you, he did not know there was a Goliath in his future. He knew a few things, but he didn't know there was a Goliath. He knew this. He knew at a certain point along the way that that, uh, his battles would mean something. You, You think about it. When David reached his moment in front of all of the, the armies, he wasn't even supposed to be there. He just, he was bringing bread and and, and, and wine to his brothers were in battle, who were in battle. He shows up and he has to face this Goliath. When he faces Goliath, he doesn't look down at his big strong body and put on Saul's armor. And he just kind of looks back and he says, well, I defeated all my, all my, all my uh, enemies in private. And so I'm not worried if I can do it in public. You think about it. You, you, the, the, the lions and the bears that you can't defeat In private, you'll never face your Goliath. See, people today, they want to be in public. That's why it worries me sometimes, and I get my heart just breaks at times. People want to be public. They have a hunger and a thirst for the sensational, but they've taken all of their hunger and their thirst for the authentic, and they've kind of kind of put it behind their Instagram filter. And everybody wants to look good, and everybody wants to feel good, everybody wants to be like this person, and everybody wants to be there, and everybody wants to know him, and everybody wants to know her. And we base our life and our acceptance in Christ based on what we see in other people. But the lions and the bears that you can't defeat in private will never prepare you for the Goliath when he comes. And it wasn't just that. You think about this for a second. David and Goliath. So David one day, this is, where, this is kind of where it starts. You know, David is out in the field and the prophet shows up and says, bring your boys. They bring the boys. And the prophet's listening to God. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Do you have any other sons? Because something doesn't make sense here. I know that you can't hear it, but God's speaking to me. He's not speaking to you, he's speaking to me. I'm the prophet, I hear it. He says, there's another one. Jesse, is this all you have? This all you, well, 
there's the reject. There's the half. There's the other one, but you don't want to see him because he's, whatever you're looking for, because, you know, the prophet didn't tell him what he was looking for. And the prophet goes, get him. And here he comes with his guitar strapped around his back, thinking they want to hear me sing. This, this is great. I wrote a new song. It's called Kill Everybody But Love God While You're Doing It. Amen. <laughs> Chop them down and then heal them up. So David comes walking in. They're all lined up. Here's the prophet. The president's here. Oh, my goodness. What is this all about? And he walks in. He stinks. He smells. He didn't prepare. They went and pulled him off. He's got, he's got dung on his shoes, and, and he just kind of walks in, and he looks around, and the prophet looks at him and kind of sizes him up, and God goes, that's him. And then we find out it wasn't about how big he was. It was his heart. God sees the heart. God, God, God wants our heart. He doesn't want your gift. He doesn't want your muscle. He doesn't, he doesn't want your singing ability. He doesn't want your, your ability to, to read Greek or do math or make money. He wants your heart. God can do anything with anyone if he has their heart. So David, David standing there, the prophet, pours anointing oil on him. This was a major event in history happening in front of this family. And then you know what happens? The prophet leaves and doesn't tell anyone why he anointed him. You read it. He didn't say why. He anointed him to lead Israel, but he didn't tell him. Do you know how awkward it became between him and his brothers? David had struggles. He was alone. He was rejected. He was, he was given a dirty, nasty job that he ended up doing with all of his heart. He defended the father's sheep. And one day when they would anoint him as king of Israel, he would, he would defend all of the father's sheep. This is David. And he's poured, got oil all over his body. He's like, well, this is awkward. I should go. He was living with the feeling that he was anointed, but he didn't know why. So many people live with a feeling and a sense of anointing, but they don't know why they're anointed. God wants you to, to understand that the anointing will take you someplace. It may not reveal itself until you're standing in front of Goliath, but it's there. So this young man, he's, got, he's, got a, he's anointed, and now all of a sudden, and he had to deal with all kinds of tests, the tests of anointing, and the test of being alone. And You know, your test always leads to your training. There's, you, can't, you can't take the two and separate them. If you're going through a test, it's because you're being trained for something. God is preparing you and getting you ready to be used in a way that matches the anointing that you did not understand. So many people get up in the morning and they feel anointed. My kids, when they prayed to receive Christ, something happened. When we, we sit with them and we talk and we dream about what they'll do someday, they feel a sense of anointing on their life, but they don't know what it's for yet. It will be unfolded for them as the years go by. As a matter of fact, as a little side note, in Psalms 123, when David talks about the, he knew me in the dark place in my mother's womb, that's the only place in Scripture where that word for womb is used except in the story of Elijah and Elisha. The same word for womb is used, and it's, and it's this. When Elijah and Elisha, when the mantle was passed and the chariot was going into heaven, 
a, uh, a mantle fell from the chariot and the prophet went up, he says, I want a double anointing and he unrolls, he, look at this, check this out. He unrolls the roll. The, the word that's used for unrolling the mantle is the womb. And what it means is that as you grow, you start in the womb and as you grow, God will unfold your destiny in front of you. He will open it up before you. You feel a sense of anointing and you don't know what it's for. He went through that test. He didn't understand. Then it's time for the battle, right? Every day someone's mocking God. Every day they line up. Every day there's no winner. Jesse says, hey, take your brother, Eliab, some bread and some wine because he's tired of having a stalemate every day, it's wearing him out. Did you know that stalemate does wear you out? Have you ever felt stalemated? Have you ever felt like it's not going anywhere, I'm not getting the breakthrough, and I don't know what to do, and your brain is tired and you're losing your mental energy because every single day it's the same battle, the same moment, it's the same negative thought, it's the same thing that you feel. Can I tell you, doing nothing will drain you faster than doing something. So he just, he just take your brother some bread and wine because he's at a stalemate. And he's a general in the army, just go down. So he goes down Little David's got his guitar on his back. Maybe they want to hear. <laughs> kind of just a little, little trailer. Got all his bread and his wine. And he's talking to Eliab. And Goliath is on the battlefield. They're about to line up. Goliath is already there. And he's hurling insults to them. They didn't even get out of bed yet. They were in that moment between sleep and awake and the enemy is already casting a shadow on your faith. Have you ever been there? Before you even open your eyes, you feel it. And the enemy's casting hurly insults about God and David's got bread and he's got wine and he's a little ruddy dude and he's kind of he's like, and he hears it because he's got a relationship with God. He kind of goes, he goes, who is that? I like the message. Who's that big pig over there? Hurling insults because I'm a, I have some serious insult gift that I'm about to unleash on this guy, right? And Eliab, you know what Eliab says? Eliab challenges him. Get out of here. You don't belong here. We don't need you here. Eliab was jealous. I think maybe one of the biggest tests that David ever went through was the test of jealousy. Are you gonna let other people's insecurities and other people's jealousies towards you keep you from what God has for you? If he would've listened to a lie, he would've gone home, but he's not gonna go home because he's already killed the lion, he's already killed the bear, and I can't handle people talking about my God. My God, and Elijah says, go home. And he says, no, you go home, I have a question. And, he, and all of a sudden, he's just, he's ready to fight. And he's like, wait, what did, you, what did you say? Like, what did he say? And he's looking around at the stalemate. And he's watching all the people taking their time to get on the battlefield. Why? Because they weren't going to do anything. David says, I'll tell you what. Let me do it. Let me, let me take a shot. This kid was so 
small compared to the other warriors. You ever wonder about this? David, like who was on David's side? Like if you were a betting man, you know what I mean? Like who bet on David? I mean, look what Saul told him. Well, okay, <laughs> go and God be with you. In other words, I'll see you in heaven. It's over. You ever wonder who was on his side? The Philistines weren't on his side. We know that. Goliath wasn't on his side, right? Saul wasn't. Saul didn't bet on him. His brothers bet against him. All of Israel watched him. None of them bet on him. The only person on the field that was behind him was God. But it didn't bother him because that's where he cultivated it, alone. David showed up on the battlefield with Goliath. He just went back to his little slingshot moment with his guitar in the field. And he's thinking, I've been here before. I, you, I didn't have you then. You didn't support me then. You didn't believe in me then. But God did. And he and I have a relationship. And he speaks to me in the night hour. And he anointed me. And I didn't know why he was anointing me. But I feel it now because something is about to go down in this place. Come on, somebody. David's sitting there and he's like, oh, you don't believe in me. But God believes in me. It's all I need. He walks out into the field and he has an insult battle with Goliath. You're going to send a dog out here to do a message? And David goes, I'm going to chop off your head. I'm going to feed you to the wolves. And then I'm going to walk around with your head in my hand and we're just going to have fun. I'm going to chop you up into a little. And they're just having an insult battle. Goliath can't believe it. Goliath cannot believe that this, this small human, Goliath, okay, Goliath, Goliath, Goliath. You've all heard about how big Goliath was, right? You've all heard it. He was probably about, about eight and a half feet tall. He probably weighed in the neighborhood of 350 to 400 pounds on the light side. Just his chest plate, just his chest plate weighed 80 pounds, probably the same weight as David, you know? Like, what are you doing? He was massive. David goes, that's okay. He tries to put on the armor and it doesn't work. He goes, just, I can't do this. And you know what he does? He goes down to the river and he grabs what he had when he was in the field with the sheep. He grabs his staff. He grabs his shepherd's bag. And he goes down to the river and he grabs five smooth stones. He just, he was who he was. God wants to use who you are, not who they are. Man, one of the greatest revelations that we all have is that God loves you. He made you. He doesn't want you to be the person next to you. He made you. You're going to win by being you. You're not going to win by being me. You're going to win by being you. You're not going to win by being your friend, your husband, your wife, your, your spouse. That's not how you're going to win. God anoints you. He made you. So David goes down. Now, have you ever wondered why David picked up five stones? Scholars like to debate this, okay? And I've read it all. And sometimes they say, well, David was still struggling with his faith. So he took five stones. He thought maybe he'd miss, and he had to, he was worried. And I'm having a hard time believing that like a 150-pound kid, young man, uh, facing an eight and a half you know, foot giant, I don't think he had a faith issue. 
I don't think he got five stones because it was a lack of faith. Some people say that uh, he, he maybe took five stones because he thought perhaps he would need four stones because he was just so big. Like that's what it's going to take. There's all kinds of theories, but I'm going to share one with you as we close. This is the one I like. Okay? Because it is in Scripture, but we don't see it in, in this part of First Samuel. But most people don't know that Goliath had four brothers. And those four brothers were likely standing behind him on the field. His four brothers, they're named in Scripture in 2 Samuel, First and 2 Samuel. They have names. One of them had a spear. They were all giants, by the way. They were all giants. His whole family was giant. One of them had a spear that was so long, the tip of the spear weighed, weighed eight pounds. Just, just the point, eight pounds. And, and it was as long as a, a beam. The Bible calls it a beam. One of them was so big that he had six fingers on each hand and six toes. This was one ugly giant. You know what I'm saying? He had like 24 appendages. It's out of control. <laughs> and he's massive. And he's there. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that David's servants, after David killed Goliath, David's servants in subsequent battles killed Goliath's four brothers. I don't know if you feel this, but the faith that it took for you to kill your Goliath created a generation of giant killers behind you. It put something into them that they didn't have if it hadn't have been for you. Some of you have the gift and the calling and the anointing to be stalemate breakers so that people behind you can come and do more than you ever did. What used to look big now doesn't look so big. So here's Goliath. He's got four brothers. I think their names were up there for a second. But the four brothers are standing behind him. Most believe that if they were in the battle, they were standing behind him. So the whole time he's going off, David's not seeing one giant. David is seeing five giants. So David goes down. His faith was perfect. He didn't need 20 rocks. He needed five, somebody. He goes down to the river. He picks up five smooth stones. He goes, one for Goliath, one for his other big brother, one for the other brother with the spear, one with the ugly feet. I'm taking him out too. And he picks up five because he's afraid. He's afraid they're going to rush him. He's ready with five stones. You should never believe that if God has called you to something great, that any of your enemies would be anything but giants. God wants to stop you. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to tell you it's not going to happen. He wants to tell you that God can't touch your body. He wants to tell you that you can't, you're, you're not going to make it through financially. He wants to tell you that your marriage is over. He wants to tell you that God's not going to help your children. Those are Goliaths. And if this is the morning time, if this is your moment when you open your eyes, I want you to see David. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see grace. And I want you to pick up your five smooth stones. And by the way, five in the Bible is the number for grace. Five smooth stones, five loaves and two fish. That's where the name for our youth ministry came from, five. God has got his hand on the stone that you throw. And just in case, after you kill discouragement, depression tries to chase you down, you've got a stone for depression. And just after you kill depression, if, if the other brother, suicide or divorce is chasing after him, you've got a stone for that one. 
And just in case those three aren't enough and they're all down, the big ugly one over here called a lack of faith and a lack of belief, he charges you. You've got one stone left for him. And it's not a bigger stone. Five smooth stones. God's got his hand on the stone that you throw. But you have to throw it. You will never defeat an enemy that you will not face. Stand to your feet. Let's pray this morning. And I believe in God. You gave your life.